G'day guys. I was a bit worried with that voting about the different types of ties. I was thinking, you know how they have the Triple J Hottest 100 every year and there's always a group of people who try and game the system and get Kylie Minogue voted number one or that sort of thing? I'm just worried that people are going to get vegetarian as the number one option and I'm going to have to eat that. But anyway, my, I'll, just put in, I'll just override the system and put in 20 for chunky beef steak double-sized pies or something. Anyway, let's pray before we look at God's word together. Heavenly Father, we do give you great thanks for the joy it is to meet together here around your word now. And we pray that you'll help us to concentrate on understanding your word correctly. Help me to teach it faithfully and clearly. Uh, And most of all, we pray that we would not move away from here tonight unmoved by your word. Uh, Instead, we'll be challenged by it, we'll be encouraged by it, and help us then to seek to put it into practice in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was sharing with uh, our morning congregations how good the Invest uh, weekend away was for everyone who was at Invest earlier in the year, and uh, I was particularly telling them how uh, exciting it was just how many more people were on Invest this year than there were the year before. Uh, So I think Troy told me there were, you know, like 70-something last year on Invest, which was our biggest up until then, and then this year there were well over 100 on Invest. And uh, people were saying, why is that? Why, were, why are there more people there? Uh, and uh, Troy likes to come up with reasons like the quality of the Bible teaching and that sort of stuff. When I think everyone who was there last year knows why it was bigger this year. <laughs> I think everyone who was there, you know, you've seen it. It was Damien Vale. Is that how you pronounce your surname? I remember Damien. It was Damien and I doing Taylor Swift Shake It Off. That's, that's why it was there. Uh, I always think what goes on camp stays on camp, but unfortunately mobile phones have ensured that there are people who tell me they were on Invest, and I know they weren't there, but they tell me they've seen my Shake It Off lip sync. And anyway, uh, why do I bring that up? (laughs) Well, because when you're a fool, it's good to get ahead of the game, is my sort of thing, and let people know you're a fool. But it's funny, a number of people who perhaps don't know me as well after that came up to me and said, I can't believe you did that. They said, but, you know, you're the senior minister. You're meant to be worthy of our respect. And yet, <laughs> there you were being such a goose, such a fool. Uh, I mean, the, the senior minister is, is not meant to act like that. Uh, and one person, a, a person who was new to our church, and even said, I'm not certain I can come and listen to your sermons anymore. Uh, but I want to say, I think this passage today justifies me. Because I think I'm in really good company. Because the Apostle Paul writes this whole chapter about how he is willing to be a fool for these people. He's willing to be a fool if it will just mean that they will keep trusting in Jesus. That's what this is about. Uh, Because if you remember what was happening in Corinth, come with me into chapter 11, uh, these so-called super apostles who keep coming up in the chapter, uh, they were so much more gifted than Paul and so much more talented than Paul and so much more impressive than Paul and they had come in and they brought bigger crowds, they had letters of recommendation that they were sort of flashing around and showing everyone and it looked like everyone was just going to switch from following Paul and his gospel to following these super apostles and the gospel they were teaching and the problem was they were teaching a different message, that was the problem. The Christians were starting to follow them because they just thought they were more impressive and more worthy of following, whereas Paul was weak in their eyes. 
And so I've seen how, over these last few chapters, the Apostle Paul tried to correct their understanding, he tried to point out what was wrong with some of the things they were teaching uh, and how it was different to the message that they had come to believe, the gospel. But now at this point, he feels like he has to do something that he absolutely hates doing. He has to compare himself to these other teachers to show why he is the one worth listening to and why they are not the ones worth listening to. And this is so important because this is not just a history lesson for us. This is not just, oh, that's interesting back then, 2,000 years ago, what was going on in that church. It's so important because in doing this, what he does is he shows us what we should look for in deciding who is worth listening to, in deciding what gospel are we going to follow and who will we listen to as they teach us so are we not led astray. So let's get into it. Come with me. Verse 16, chapter 11, he says, I repeat... No one should consider me a fool. That's because that's what they were saying he was. So that's what they were calling Paul. They were saying he's a fool. Uh, He doesn't know how to speak to the crowds like us. He's unimpressive. He even has to earn a living making tents because no one will, will give money to support his ministry. He's a fool. And now Paul has explained to them already why he does things the way he does things. It's to honor God, not man. We've seen that in the earlier chapters, but seeing as you already think I'm a fool, Paul says, if you already think that about me, well, then I'm going to take advantage of that. And I'm actually going to act like a fool for just a moment. But for Paul, that didn't mean a lip sync challenge. That meant boasting. Because for Paul, that is the most foolish thing you can do, is boast. So look from verse 16. He says, but if you do, at least accept me as a fool, so I too may boast a little. What I say in this matter of boasting, I don't speak as the Lord would, but foolishly, since many boast in an unspiritual way, I will also boast. I have to understand this. For for Paul, boasting is for fools. People who build themselves up by comparing themselves to other people and dragging other people down, Paul says, that is the most foolish thing you can do. And ministers of the gospel who boast about their ministry who boast about, oh, look at how many people follow me, look at how many people come to my church versus your church, look at how impressive I am, they are the biggest fools of all. As we read earlier, a couple of chapters ago in 2 Corinthians, what does Paul say? He says, let him who boasts, boast in what? In the Lord. If you're going to boast, boast about God, not yourself, you're insignificant. I'm insignificant. If you want to boast, boast about how wonderful God is. Boast about how amazing his love is. Boast about all he's done for you in Jesus, not how great you are. But reluctantly, Paul says, all right, if you already think I'm a fool, then just let me act like one for a little while. At least let me have that benefit of you thinking that of me. So now I'm going to boast. And he even says that, even though Jesus would not do this. That's how reluctant Paul is to do this. He's saying, even though Jesus would never do this, I'm going to do it now, I'm going to compare myself to these super apostles to show you once and for all why you should listen to me and not them. He thinks that this might actually be the only way they listen to him. Uh, I think this is a really Australian passage because it's just full of sarcasm, like Emma said before. And as you read it, you can hear his sort of sadness as he says these sarcastic things. So look at from verse 19. He says, for you, being so wise, gladly put up with fools. In fact, you put up with it if someone enslaves you. 
If someone devours you, if someone captures you, if someone dominates you, or if someone hits you in the face. See, Paul's saying, you think you're so wise, but you put up with these fools who do all these awful things to you. How wise is that? You see, when Paul came to them, he came to serve them, just like Jesus did. When Paul came in, he didn't come to lord it over them. He came and served them, so much so that he refused even to take their money, money that was his by right. He said, I'm going to let other Christians support me. I'm going to make tents during the day and then preach at night. I will do that so that you don't even think I'm taking advantage of you. I want you to hear the message of the gospel for free. And the message Paul taught, what was it all about? It was all about grace. It was all about how you are saved by faith alone, not by what you do, not by earning your salvation. He said, no, 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 it is a free gift given to you by Jesus. And that's the wonderful liberating message of the gospel. And that is what Paul did. He came in and preached a message of grace in a way that put no pressure on them or anything like that. And what did they say about him? He's a weak fool. But these false teachers, they come and they want everyone to serve them. And they want everyone to sort of put them on a pedestal. And these people did it. And they came and wanted to get rich off the generosity of these Christians. And these people said, here, give us, we'll give you our money. And they preached a different message that enslaves people. It seems the message they preached was to go back to the Old Testament law. You need to keep God's law to be saved. You need to do all these things that Jesus said we can't do. That's why Jesus had to die for us because we couldn't keep the law. And yet Paul says, you call me a fool when you're the ones who put up with these false teachers who abuse you and lead you astray. Well, if you're going to call me a fool, I'll be a fool. I'll boast about myself. If it will just show you once and for all why you should listen to me and not them. Now, before we go and look at Paul's boast, I just want to pause for a second. If you take out your outline, I want to pause for a moment and ask the question, why was Paul willing to do this even though he hated it? Why was he willing to be a fool for these people. Well, I think we saw why last week in the first half of the chapter. So just flick back with me to chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. So just flick back to the start of the chapter, and I'll read it out. He says, I wish you would put up with a little foolishness from me. Yes, do put up with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. That verse there, verse 2, is the key to understanding the whole chapter. This is why Paul is willing to be a fool. It's because the purity of the church matters more than anything. And Paul was jealous for that purity. Jealousy is normally a negative emotion, isn't it? If you think of someone as a jealous person, you're thinking negatively about them because jealousy is usually driven by envy or coveting, or other sinful emotions. But there is a godly jealousy, a godly jealousy that is jealous for the good of the other person. A a, a godly husband is jealous for his wife. A godly wife is jealous for their husband. A godly parent is jealous for their children, not in a controlling way, but they are jealous to protect that person from bad influences and to get what is best for them. And God feels that sort of jealousy for you. God feels that sort of jealousy for you as an individual and for us 
as a church. And so Paul, like any faithful minister of the gospel, felt that jealousy for this people and this church who he had shared the gospel with, who he had introduced to Jesus. And that jealousy meant there was no way in the world he was going to stand by and let people lead them astray, let people take them away from trusting in Jesus. And I want to say to you tonight, every Christian should feel that jealousy for themselves, first of all, but also for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our church. Because what we believe is of eternal importance. See, if we are saved by faith in Christ, then what we believe about Christ matters. Because if it changes, we lose salvation. That's how important what we believe is. If we preach a different Jesus, then people will not be saved. If you believe in a different Jesus, you will not be saved. That's why Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.16, it's on your outline, he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So he's saying that is how important what we believe is. And when we change what we believe or subtly shift what we believe, that is not just a matter of personal preference. You know, it's not like, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, but he believes Jesus is a wise teacher, but we all believe in Jesus, so it's all good. No, only the first person is saved. The second person does not believe in the Jesus who saves, and so has not found forgiveness, is not right with God. I believe that I'm saved through faith, by grace, a free gift of God. But she believes that no, 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 you contribute to your salvation. You earn your salvation by being a part of the church or by the way you live your life or whatever it is. But we all believe in Jesus. No, we don't. Only the first of those people has understood the gospel and so has found salvation. The other person is lost. It really matters what we believe, which is why we care so much about it. See, and whatever ministry you are involved in, whether it's just by being a member of the church and trying to encourage other people, or whether it's leading a gospel team or teaching kids' church or or teaching youth group or whatever it is, we need to have that godly jealousy for the people we are teaching and encouraging. It should make us upset when people try to lead Christians away from the truth of God's word. See, in our tolerant modern world where everyone should just be able to believe whatever they like, that's, that's so politically incorrect. It's like, no, you believe, you believe and I believe what we believe. No. If we change what we believe, it matters. So we should be upset about it. If we really care for people and for their eternal destiny, It should upset us when people start to turn aside, away from sound doctrine. But the problem is that all too often, Christians are not led astray by a message so much as the messenger. If we like the messenger, if we're impressed with the messenger, we'll just put up with different teaching. It's the sad reality over the last 2,000 years of church history that too often relationship 
trumps truth. I like that guy, so I'll follow him, even if he's taking me away from the gospel. You see, as long as they mention Jesus and gospel and words like grace, then in our charity, our Christian charity, ironically, we accept them. As long as they put Bible verses up on the screen and point at them a bit while they talk, we accept them in our charity. I'm amazed how many Christians go to conferences and listen to rubbish and read books that are absolute rubbish and listen to things on the internet that are absolute rubbish from people who are just straight out false teachers. And sometimes I meet people, people in our church come and they give me a book and they say, oh, this book was revolutionary. And within three minutes of reading, I go, this isn't even Christian. And yet these are people who sit under the teaching of the scriptures all the time. Because they mention Jesus, talk about grace and quote the Bible, we accept it as gospel. See, Paul says, no, be vigilant, be jealous. And Paul was willing to be a fool if it just meant that these people would listen to him and the true gospel rather than be led away by these false teachers. But now let's get into Paul's boast, the main part of the passage. Come with me. Uh, is two parts to his boast. The first thing he boasts about is his Jewishness which surprises us because we think, why on earth would he boast about his Jewishness? I mean, if, if Troy and I were up the front of church having a barney about some matter of doctrine and I said to you, listen to me because I'm more Jewish than him, you would say, Where is, what, how is that relevant? It, it's not. But Paul does. Look at what he says. Look at verse 21. He says, but whenever anyone dares to boast, I'm talking foolishly, I also dare. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. As I say, it's not something we'd think was important. So why does he bring that up straight away, the first part of his boast? It's because these super apostles were claiming that they had come from Jerusalem and, and that they were representing the true gospel that Jesus, the Jew, preached because the gospel was from Jesus, from the Jews. And so Paul is saying, they were saying, Paul is a counterfeit. He's come up with some other message, whereas we want to take you back to where it all started, the Jewish gospel. But Paul says, well, I'm more Jewish than they are. I can trace my lineage all the way back to Abraham. So that's the first part of his boast. But what he boasts about next is the key. And this is the part I really want you to come with me on, because this shows you that Paul might be acting like a fool, but he's really actually subverting everything. He's throwing their idea of impressiveness on its head. So look at verse 23. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one. Just a hint. No false teacher ever says, by the way, I'm not a servant of Christ. No person who has led the church astray over the last 2,000 years has come in and said, by the way, I am a wolf in sheep's clothing. Just, just letting you know, that rather defeats the purpose of getting dressed up as a sheep. Every false teacher says they are a servant of Christ. And so these guys claim that they were. And you can actually hear Paul cringing here as he says, I'm a better one. Because Paul knows that actually to claim you're a better servant of Christ is to show that you're not a better servant of Christ. It's like when someone says, I'm a better Christian than you. Well, given the heart of following Jesus is humility, that sort of shows you're not. 
And in fact, I, I find that when people talk about that, oh, I'm not a very good Christian or they're a better Christian than me, that shows me they haven't actually understood what it is to be a Christian. You see, because a Christian is someone who knows that they are a sinner and who doesn't deserve God's grace and forgiveness and yet accepts the free gift by faith. So to say, I'm a better Christian, actually shows you haven't understood what it is to be a Christian at all. In the same way to say, I am a better servant of Christ than these guys, if you're arrogant enough to think that, then that shows that you're probably not. But Paul is doing something really subversive at this point. Because now at this point, you are expecting Paul to list out all of his achievements for Jesus. They're expecting him to play their comparison game and prove why he's better. And he could have done that. Paul could have said, well, Jesus appeared to me personally on the road to Damascus. When did Jesus have a chat with you guys? He could have said, now, on that, at that moment, Jesus gave me the job of taking the gospel to the whole rest of the world. The whole Gentile world, 99.9% of the world. What job did Jesus give you guys, personally? He could have said, I have planted churches all over Turkey and Greece and Macedonia and everywhere else. Just about every church that exists up until this point in history, I planted. How many of you guys planted? He could have said, I have preached the gospel to and seen converted more people than any other person in the history of the world to this point. How many of you guys seen? Paul could have said that, couldn't he? He could have said, I am a better servant of Christ because, frankly, I am. But he doesn't. Instead, he says, I'm a better servant of Christ because of what I am willing to suffer for you. That's what makes him a better servant of Christ. I'm a better servant of Christ because I am what I am willing to suffer for Jesus and out of my love for you. So look from verse 23 again. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one. With far more labours, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Five times I received 39 lashes from Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. He's not exaggerating this, by the way. He's not sort of penning a better story. You can read about some of these things he went through in the book of Acts. And if we keep going, just look at some of the other things he went through. I can't believe they haven't made more movies about Paul. His life is incredible. Look from verse 26. He says, on frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea and dangers among false brothers, labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. Now we don't actually get this. See, we listen to that and we say, yeah, Paul is a better servant of Christ. That's because we live in a culture that has had 2,000 years of Christian shaping and it has totally shaped our culture. So in our culture, to suffer for something is a noble thing. So who is the most respected person in the world of the last 50 years? Almost everyone would put him at number one of their list. It's Nelson Mandela, isn't it? And why is that? It's because he was willing to suffer to bring about change in his country. That is a Christian idea. We even get it in the, you know, people say, 
I've suffered for my art. I always think they should then say, and now it's your turn, sort of thing. But, you know, but this idea that suffering is worthwhile, we value humility because of Jesus, because of the impact of the gospel. But in the pre-Christian ancient world, suffering said that person is cursed by the gods. If you suffered, it showed you were weak. It showed you were a fool. But Paul boasted about it. And he boasted about it because it showed that he was an authentic disciple of Jesus. Have a look on your outline again. Take it out. Remember Jesus' words, his most important words about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Mark 8, 34 to 35. He says, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Jesus says, being my disciple, following me, will not make your life easy. In fact, it will probably make it a bit harder. But what it does is it makes it matter. It makes it worthwhile. And that is how Paul lived. He lived as a follower of Jesus. And that is what showed the authenticity of his faith and of his ministry. But it wasn't just that Paul suffered for Jesus. That wasn't the only thing that made him worth following. It was his attitude to these Christians and his love for them. So look at how he talks about it in verse 28. He says, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. I think that is probably the most personal insight you get into the mind and heart of the Apostle Paul in the whole New Testament. He's saying there, I lay awake at night worrying. That's what I think he's saying. I I lay awake at night worrying and praying for these people who I have led to Christ, including you Christians. And that is the lot of a faithful servant of Jesus. It's not a job. Paul didn't say, I'll give you five days a week and then I switch my brain off for a couple of days. He lay awake at night worrying about these people that they would keep trusting in Jesus. Look at verse 29. He says, who is weak and I am not weak. If if he knows that one of his brothers and sisters in Christ is struggling, Paul struggles. Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation. See, the church in Corinth for Paul was not some institution that he wanted to protect. It was individual people who he loved and was concerned for. And if someone led them into sin, or if someone led them away from Jesus, Paul burned with anger and indignation. See, the Corinthians were so impressed by these super apostles who boasted about their smooth delivery and how impressive they looked and their stature and their qualifications. Paul says to them, I am not going to boast about any of that. I will boast about my willingness to suffer to tell people about Jesus, and I will boast about my absolutely transparent love for his people. You tell me, which is the leader worth following? Well, what are we going to take away from this passage? You'll see I've put three points there at the bottom of your outline. In many ways, this is a message for those who would presume to be teachers in the church, isn't it? More than anything else. It's the sort of passage you would hope they read out at Moore College every year for people training 
to be ministers. Don't be like the super apostles. Don't boast in your worldly impressiveness. Instead, follow the example of Paul. Teach faithfully. Take up your cross and follow Christ. Love the flock with a godly jealousy. But I think it's not just for leaders. And there's three points I want to draw out for all of us as we close tonight. First point is, be jealous for yourself. That means... Watch your life and doctrine closely. It matters what you believe. So get it right. Don't let yourself be swayed away from the word of God and from the truth of the gospel that saves. That is why we devote ourselves to the study of the scriptures. I don't get up here and say, read your Bible all the time because somehow that would make me feel better that you read your Bible. Although it will. It's because you need to. So that you're not led astray. Be jealous for yourself. That's why we meet together in gospel teams to grapple with God's word. That's why it's so fundamental. Do you know as I grappled with this passage this week, I felt an affinity with Paul. Not from verses 22 to 27. Because I've never had 39 lashes. I got the cane when I went to school, but that's because I went to school in Queensland where they outlawed it a lot later than in New South Wales. But... um, And that wasn't for the gospel, I can tell you. Um, But I've never been through any of that. But I have been through verses 28 and 29 for you. You see, sometimes like Paul, I lay awake at night and worry about people in this room who are making unwise, ungodly decisions in their life. I lay awake at night and I worry for them. And I look, it's perhaps for you. I lay awake at night and I look and I see people who come along to church but their faith is so weakly rooted, is so flimsy. They know that Jesus loves them but they just don't want to devote themselves to growing in their knowledge of Jesus. They just won't commit to being in a gospel team. They won't commit to reading the scriptures. They won't commit to doing courses to learn more, to strengthen their faith. And I, like Paul, lay awake at night. And I think, how will you ever stand firm? How will you ever stand firm? How will you ever spot error when it comes along? If I or another person get up here and preach a different message, would you even notice? My plea to you is, be jealous for yourself. Be as jealous for yourself as I am for you. Second point, be jealous for one another. We need to encourage one another to keep following Jesus. We need to gently challenge wrong understandings of the gospel when we see them. We need to spur one another on in growing in faith and godliness. See, we don't just commit to fellowship and reading the scriptures for our own sake. We do it because we want our brothers and sisters to stand firm in the gospel. Be jealous for one another. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We want them presented pure in him. Be jealous for them. And third point and last point, be careful who you follow. Don't get led astray by the impressive speaker, by the professional show. The godly leader is the one who follows Christ faithfully in what they say and in how they live. In 1 Corinthians, in his early letter to this church, 
Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And what he's saying there is, a leader is not worth following unless they are following the example of Christ in the way they live. The godly leader will often not look impressive in the eyes of the world. Because the one we follow did not look impressive in the eyes of the world. They hated him. You see my point? The faithful leader will not boast in themselves because Jesus never boasted in himself. The faithful leader won't lord it over people because Jesus never lorded it over people. What they will do is they will humbly serve, faithfully teach, quietly pray and be driven by a godly jealousy for the flock. And as you have opportunities to lead, whether it be in kids' church or gospel team or just talking to people here in your church family, that is what you want to be. You want to be humble and faithful and willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul who was willing to suffer so much so that people would hear about Jesus and grow in their knowledge and love of him. And we pray that you might give us his jealousy for ourselves, first of all, but also for one another. We pray that we might devote ourselves to the study of the scriptures and that we might take every opportunity to encourage and spur one another on so that we are never led astray by trusting in the one true Jesus, the Jesus we meet in the scriptures, who saves us by faith. And we pray this in his name. Amen.